Amen. If you've got a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Psalms 1. Like I told the first service, if you've got one of those little black tassels on your Bible, looks like that, or a bookmark, you might want to mark Psalms because we're going to be here a while. <laughs> we preach expositionally and we have picked up the, the book of Psalms and, and we intend to study it. And uh, so for the next good many weeks, we're going to be looking at a out of Psalms every week, and so we start at the beginning, Psalms 1. Just to warn you today, I've been at a pastor's conference for the last few days, and I've been filled up, been preached to a lot. It's bound to leak out a little bit today, so just to give you a little bit of a warning, may have some quotes, I'm going to try to quote it if it leaks out, but uh, probably not going to be able to help myself. I want you to be aware, I know we're Baptists and we don't like to change. We're going to do something different today, and it's going to be good. Uh, we're doing this so that we can have communion together more often, and so feel free to look around. There's tables in the back. There's tables in the front. We're going to preach the sermon as our response to the sermon. And I'll explain this again. When we stand up to begin to sing as response to the sermon, you're simply going to go back to the tables, and you're going to take both elements in your hand, and you're going to come back to your seat. You're going to worship the Lord. When the Holy Spirit leads you, you take the elements, and then we worship God. Okay? That's the way we're going to do it today at the end, and, uh, and I'll, I'll talk about that more later. But right now, it is time to hear from our Lord. Psalms 1, stand with me to your feet. We stand because when God's Word speaks, God speaks. And so God's speaking to us this morning from Psalms 1. When he says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. But are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Lord this is your word. And right now. We have just experienced the privilege. Of hearing from you. So, Lord, we bow our heads and say amen and say we are not worthy for the sovereign king of the universe to speak to us. But by your grace this morning, you have gathered the redeemed of the Lord to hear the word of the Lord. And so, Lord, we ask you, Lord, we want to delight in you. And that looks like something in our life. So, Lord, give us the ability, Lord, and I know, I feel it myself, I know that we stand here with many things to distract us and many burdens to carry and many things to worry about and many questions unanswered. But Lord, today, would you settle us with your almighty word? May we hear the words of both comfort and warning and promise. For both the righteous and the wicked. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
So the next couple weeks, we're going to be looking at Psalms 1 and next week, Psalms 2. They are introductions, as it were, to see Psalms not simply as a, con- a collection of individual Psalms, a psalm or a poem or a song, but to see Psalms as a book that God has brought together and that has a point. And so, if you're taking notes, I'll say this next week. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 puts two this, this principle together. This is what the psalmist says, and this is important because everything else in Psalms is, is magnifying these points. Listen to Yahweh's instruction. He is the King of Kings. That's what Psalms 1 and 2 is going to teach us. This morning, we just want to see psalmist is saying, what does it look like when someone listens to God's instructions and when he don't? couple words I want us to grab as we start. Look at verse 1 and 2. You could read it this way. Start verse 1. Blessed is the man. Now look at verse 2. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So here's the question. What's the word law, Torah, or they usually accent the last part of the words, Torah. When you think of law, what do you think about? We will not hear what the psalmist means when he says what he says. So let's understand this word Torah just a little bit. Turn with me. You got Psalms already marked. Psalm 78 in verse 1. I just want you to see this word translate. I'm not sure what translation you have. We usually read from the ESV. Psalm 78 verse 1 says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. The word teaching is the word Torah. So we see here, to simply think in your mind, every time the psalmist says Torah or law, rule, you're going to miss it. Here's what we We see see here. This is teaching, instruction. Turn Turn with me to one book over. Proverbs 1, we'll see it another way. Hey, mamas, I'm going to bring you into this. Proverbs 1, verse 8. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now, the word instruction, father's instruction, is a different word. But you see mother's teaching? That's mother's Torah. He's saying, listen to your mother's instruction. So when the psalmist is getting it, he's going to get it. He's going to get all bent out of shape as we study Psalms. I mean, I'm not sure what to do with Psalms 119, but we'll figure it out when we get there. But this guy is going to, is tore up. He is overwhelmed. He is dripping out of his mouth like Thanksgiving dinner over the Torah. It's God's instructions. It's God's teaching to him. I want you to see something. This this came from the conference, but I want you to see it. Genesis 1. Go back to Genesis 1, verse 27 28. I want you to see another word. The word blessed. I want you to see this from the beginning, from the very foundation of things. Genesis 1, verse 27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And listen, verse 28. And God blessed them. 
And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves. Do you see this? The first thing God says to His people is words of blessing. Psalm starts, Blessed is the man. God created man. He blessed them. How did He bless them? Do you see it? He gave them imperatives. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's an imperative. You see? The blessings of God are in the imperatives. The psalmist understands this. This is the way it was from the beginning. God speaks. His do's and His don'ts are blessings. In themselves. That we are in fact the righteous. Is it not true that many of us can go to many churches around here and you don't even need your Bibles? I ask you, is is that the assembly of the righteous? The first thing, God says, the blessings. So there's two ways that ends in two places this morning. And the Psalms is critical. Every time you read a Psalm, you're looking for it. Remember, this is poetry. There's an artistic craft to the way they craft it. Just like it is when Pastor Micah writes a song. There's, a, there's an artistic part that he's doing with that. And so this Psalm is a comparison and a contrast. We've got to see it that way. There's going to be some words you need to look for. Delighting, scoffing, planted, driven away, tree, chaff, fruitful, fruitless, being known, being separated, life, perishing. You see, there's only two ways, and the first way is the way of the wicked. And We might say wicked. I don't like that. How about imperfect? Sounds better, doesn't it? Imperfect. I make a few discretions, misjudgments, but wicked? We should know this. Verse Romans 3.10, you know it, remember? No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. Important word today in the psalm. No one does good, not even one. We know this, don't we? The good we should do, we don't do. And even when we do good, we do it for wrong reasons. God calls that sin, he calls it wickedness. Puts us all in a bad spot to start with. But let's look at this. The way of the wicked. What's their way? Their manner of life. How can we identify them? I want you to see an important word here in verse 1. It is the word scoffing. That's your contrasting word. It's contrasting in a minute. We look at the righteous to delighting. The opposite of delighting is scoffing. This is an important word. In Hebrew wisdom literature, it's meant for an arrogant fool who refuses discipline and correction. You're going to see that. Read Proverbs. You'll see it come up again. You're one. They reject biblical counsel. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So the contrast is that the wicked walks in wicked counsel. They live by unbiblical advice, principles, worldviews. Matt Chandler said this at the conference. See, it's starting to leak out. What we intake transforms us. What we take in disciples us. So whether you're a student or whether you're an adult or whether you're, a, you're someone in school and going to college, make no mistake. When you go to college, you begin to receive unbiblical counsel. What are you going to do with it if you don't have biblical counsel? 
So, the question this morning is, how do you respond when you hear an imperative in Bible? What are you doing here? You scoff? That means you refuse it. You reject it. But not only that, wicked people just don't stay away from biblical advice. They don't really like righteous company. You see in verse 1? They don't, they don't like to stand with righteous people. That's what that standing just means to persevere. It means to remain. That's what it means. It means they feel they get more joy. They feel more comfortable around the pagans, around lost people, around wicked people. This is the danger of worldly tolerance. Tolerance demands to be accepted and always leads to conformity. Is it not true in our society? Look at history. Who would have thought over the last 50 years? See, wicked men always grow worse and worse. People are not good people who sometimes do bad things. They are sinful people who always degrade into more wicked things. And if you stand with them, they will demand acceptance and it will lead to your conformity. This is what wicked people do. They disdain righteous company. This is important today. You're going to hear a lot of this word as we move towards autonomy, Lord willing, in our October community. Here's what wicked people do. They avoid godly community. They avoid it. See, this is, this is a very distinct word. It is if, if I was really going to live in community. This picture is, hey, John, come to your house, brother. That's what it looks like. Wicked people don't want to live in community with the righteous. How do you feel? Listen. How do you feel today about the congregation of the righteous? Look at verse 5. This is what either one day you will stand with the congregation of the righteous or you will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. And here's the question for us today. Do you enjoy, do you prioritize standing with the righteous today? Because if you don't, why in the world would you want to go to heaven? You see, heaven is hell to the wicked. There's no such thing as universalism. It's ridiculous. Why would a wicked person want to go somewhere where they're going to hang around with righteous people and serve with them forever? It doesn't even make sense. This is what he's saying. Wicked people don't live in community with righteous people. They don't like it. They don't prioritize it. They don't feel comfortable going over to righteous people's homes. Do you? This is at the heart, self-reliance. Jude 1.18, it's not in your notes. Jude 1.18 says this. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. There it is. There's the heart of self-reliance. You know where that started, right? Back in the garden. God's word was clear, right? What did, they, what did, what did, what did the tempter say? Did God really say... His instructions aren't really good, are they? He's really holding out on you. So let's, we're going to have much application to do in the future as we go through this. But let me just give a couple. Let's take sex before marriage and let's take divorce. 
You think about it with me, brothers and sisters. What the church has done in ignoring these things over the 50 years has caused every single one of us to say, have you been affected by divorce or have you been affected by this? We'd all raise our hand. Isn't it true? Because we as a church have neglected what God says. Here's the question. Do we believe that God has the ability to love and care for us better than we love and care for ourselves? What we do with God's word answers that question. Because this is where he has spoken. He says that. He says one man, one woman for life. Because he desires ultimate pleasure for us, not less. But See, the wicked don't care about that. They can make their decisions their way. And here's what verse 3 and 4 is saying. It's empty. It's fruitless. Contrast this now with me. He is like a tree. He's talking about righteous people. Planted by the streams of water. He yields his fruit in the seasons. The leaf does not, pro- leaf does not wither. And all he does is prosperous. What does that mean about the wicked? It's what it says in verse 4. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff. Contrasting against a planted tree. Chaff. Is that which is empty, hollow. Remember the illustration, Matthew 13, 24 gives us this picture, the wheat and the tares. Have this picture, harvest day comes, throw it up, the wind drives away that which is hollow, that which is true fruit falls to the ground. The rest, talk about it in a minute. They're proud, but yet they're hollow. You see, they choose where they want to be planted. This is the eye center of existence. This is what the psalmist wants us to see. We'll see that next week. There is an existence in your reality. There's a center of your philosophy. There's a center of your worldview. And it it is either yourself or it is Yahweh. This is what the psalmist is saying. It's got to be the king of kings. And we tell it by what we do with God's word. It says that the wicked produce nothing eternal. Spurgeon gives us a clear picture of this. Dad's here. Where's dad? He's here somewhere. He loves the he loves the garden. Loves the garden. Loves his, loves the tractor. I got my own tractor. Hook up our plow. Start plowing. Right. You got to break up the ground. Then you got to make your rows. And you got to plant your seed. Remember all that? Hopefully if you haven't ever garden, you need to experience that. Here's what Spurgeon says. The wicked plow their rows their whole life in the ocean only to turn around at the end of their life and find out that the sea has covered all they've ever done. And what's left is nothing. Isn't this what Solomon said? At the end of his most glorious, wealthy, do whatever I want to life, he looked back and said, vanity of vanity. It was all for nothing. This is the way of the wicked. Their end. Verse 4, they're driven away. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Their way will perish. Driven away and destroyed. Notice this will not stand. This is important. He's contrasting. Remember? Remember verse 1? The wicked choose to stand outside of God's word, outside of God's company, outside of God's community. And here's what they're saying. They will not stand with God's righteous in the 
into judgment. They will have a leg to stand on before King Jesus and they will not be separated. They will be separated from the righteous. You didn't want to be with the righteous in this life. You will be separated from them in the next. This is the clear teaching of Scripture. Not only in the Old Testament. Remember the Matthew 13, verse 37. He gives them this weed and tares illustration. He tears them up. Verse 36 he, remember Jesus, he teached in public and then he explained to his disciples in private. They come up to him and says, tell me what you, what you mean by that? Matthew 13, look at verse 37. Explain to us the weeds of the field. Verse 37, he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons, are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them as the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out His kingdom, all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace, into places where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 43, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has an ears, let him hear. This is their end, brothers and sisters. And by the way, this doesn't make us arrogant, mean, cocky Christians. It makes us humble Christians who understand that some of the people we love the most, that's going to happen too. This drives us to mission. And it drives us to the way of righteousness. The wicked characterized by life and scoffs at God's word their end is destruction the way of the righteous now this is what we got to do this is the beauty of the Psalms let's go back to the beginning let's look at verse 1 now let's contrast it with the righteous the way of the righteous blessed they're blessed this is plural you might not be able to tell it by reading that it's plural you'd actually say they're blessednesses there's, there's, there's lots of them this is what he's saying every imperative and it's what Paul meant everything in God's word is yes Everything God's words a blessing. You see, they, it's what the psalmist sees. He sees the Torah, the law, the instruction of God as the means of joy, as their ultimate treasure. And yet we might think when he said, blessed are the righteous, me, righteous, that's actually a good thing for you to feel that way to start with. You see, proud people don't think they're wicked. Just ask them. They're Okay. I'm not perfect. I'm better than him. But those who understand their own depravity need to hear Romans 3. Remember Romans 3? gets better. Romans 3.23. Make sure we understand. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we all got to raise our hand, right? Verse 24. Now look at this. And are justified. That is declared righteous by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a wrath-removing substitute, by his blood, how do we get declared righteous? Must be received by faith. You see that? Those are the righteous. So what does he promise those who receive by the work of Christ by faith? He promises that he gives us a new nature and dwell by the Spirit of God. And that new nature causes things to happen in our life. It takes on a mission to transform us. And it uses the instruction of the Lord. 
Isn't this what Matthew 5, 17 to 19 says? Do you remember? Jesus says, don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He said, no, remember what he said, verse 18, for I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot will pass away until all the law is accomplished. If you relax one of these, you're going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. You see, life is a journey, and you get one shot. And we walk it once in a manner of life. And listen to this. This is important. Write this down. Inward grace produces an outward walk. Inward grace produces an outward walk. If we are walking in the path of wickedness, we must pause today and ask the question, have I been born again? Because God's word never lies. And he says, I will give you a new heart. I will put within you. And I will cause you to walk in my precepts and obey my rules. We will see them as blessing because of God's grace in us. And it will produce an outward walk. And so he's not saying in here, this white knuckle try harder. He's saying righteous people, be who you are. Be a tree. What does it look like? It looks like the righteous rejects the world. It rejects their systems. That means in verse 1 now, as we contrast it with the righteous, they embrace biblical counsel. In other words, what they reject is the, is the wicked scoffing at God's word. And I know this is hard when you're dunked into this world in the environment that you're in. But listen, if you do not fight it biblically, is this what it's we take the righteous, say, I gotta get my principles, I gotta get my maxims, I gotta get my philosophies, I gotta get my worldview from one place. The righteous man, the righteous person loves God's word because it reflects God. That's why they love it, it reflects his character. We want to know him. We want see this is the only place I can understand how God is and how I must reflect him, and that's the desire of my heart. So this leads to where I choose to stand, doesn't it? I mean, in that naturally flow, I embrace a biblical worldview. I understand what I believe and how I make decisions and in life based off of God and His Word. That means that I'm going to choose to stand around godly people. It means I enjoy being around them more than I being than I enjoy being, hanging around the world. Do you enjoy gathering with God's people? Do you see Do you see this right now as a foretaste of eternity? You see, growth and unity only comes through abiding, John 15. And so the righteous rejects the world in the sense of what we choose to embrace is biblical counsel, godly people, and a godly community. We have, this is where we live. Our normal living happens here. David Platt said this again at the weekend, still leaking out. It is dangerous to look for future salvation while neglecting present holiness. Bodie Balcom says, if you can't say amen, you've got to say ouch. That was one of them ouch moments, all the preachers. He says, Every, we're all looking for heaven, the sweet by and by. Just give me a cabin over in glory land. No. We're going over to stand 
with the congregation of the righteous as we worship and serve King Jesus. And if you don't enjoy it now, you won't enjoy it then. And those who enjoy it then prioritize present holiness because it is how we enjoy our Jesus. And so every time I've ever preached this, and probably when I heard it, I would ask this question. Preacher, sounds like to me you're saying we're not supposed to be around sinful people. And how we're supposed to evangelize if we don't. Be careful, brothers and sisters, when you begin to question when God's word speaks. The best thing we could do is to cover our mouth for about three seconds and say, Amen. God's word is spoken. God's word is clear, brothers and sisters. Paul said, how in the world are we are going to supposed to be removed from the world? We can't be. We live in this world. But we are not supposed to live of this world. You see, those who understand this understand that walking in God's word, living in biblical community, far from removing us from the world, equips us to live in the world. That's what he's saying. He's saying you don't have a chance. If you isolate yourself from the community of faith. And brothers and sisters, I just need to pause here and say, if you are treating the worship gathering and growth groups as options in your life, you are setting yourself up to fall flat on your face in the spiritual life. Because it is the means we give you to get together with the gospel community so that you may be built up and strengthened so you may go out in this world and live your life for Jesus Christ. They are going to hell and they need to know that we have something that they don't have. Is that true? So brothers and sisters, don't use this as an excuse. We must prioritize our life because we are not self-reliant people. We are dependent people. We're dependent. This looks like, our dependency looks like something. It does. Look at verse 2. It looks like delight. That's what dependency looks like. It means we delight. The righteous delight in God's word. It's not a, I got to do this so I will be blessed. It's not a doing something to get, trying to achieve something. It's not a drudgery. It's not checking. Remember how you did but Remember those little blocks, we envelopes we had used to check the boxes? It's terrible. I used to read my Bible extra long before the sermon so I could check that box. I just really wanted to check it. It's not what, that's not delighting. It's not. Listen, the sign that you are a blessed believer is that you delight in God's Word. That's why I said last week, get a translation of the Bible that you can understand because God is meant to be understood, not so that we can pass a test, but so that we can delight in Him. We pleasure in what we treasure. If you treasure Christ, you're going to take pleasure in His Word. It's his, it speaks to you. Psalm 70, verse 4. It says, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. You see that? The psalmist said, I seek you. Because you are my delight. That's why we seek God's Word. You see, no man can perceive beauty without being affected by it. Isn't that true? You can't climb Crowder's Mountain and not be affected by beauty. I traveled through Kentucky, this beautiful country. Farmland and horses and all that. You, you're affected by beauty. Here's what it is. If you're a Christian and you know God and God knows you, you must be affected by that beauty. And if your outworking of your life does not reflect it, 
so the righteous delights in God's word and they meditate on it. Did you see that? Meditation is spiritual purpose. Joshua said this to those in to his to God's people. Joshua one eight says the book of the law. There it is again. The book of the law, the book of God's instruction, shall not depart your mouth, but you shall meditate on it when day and night. Day and night. What does that mean? Because Psalm says the same thing. We meditate on it day and night. It means this. This is important. So if you drift it off with me, come back for a second. Meditation is not what you do in the morning. Before you go about your day. It's not your devotion time. Whether you do it at the beginning of the day or the end of the day, it's not. It's not. What you do at the beginning and the end of the, the begin or the end of the day gives you what you meditate on day and night. Are you with me? Day meditation is what you think intently on as you go about your day. This is what Paul said, Philippians 4 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is Honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Listen to me for a second, please. Especially if you're a parent. We are teaching our children how not to think. We're raising our kids. I've seen it. Soccer game yesterday. And it's not the kids asking for us the devices. It's the parents giving the kids the devices because they don't want to be parents. There it is. Another ouch moment. It's true. That's why the kids used to be smarter because they used to have to go outside and figure out how to build the treehouse or something. And now we give them a video game. Your kids can live across the, across the street from another child going to hell and never see them. Brothers, teach our children to think. We need to teach ourselves how to think. Every time you have a free moment, if you fill your world with something mindless, you are not meditating on the things of God. It's righteous people. It's not only study God's Word, but they live by it. You see? Treasuring leads to delighting, that leads to meditating, that leads to fruit. Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf doesn't wither. All he does prospers. Treasure God's word, delights in God's word, meditates on God's word. Necessarily, what's going to happen? Fruit. Consistent fruit. Leaf and fruit. Notice something. God is written specifically. He is like a tree planted. You see that? It's passive. Remember what we said passive was? He didn't plant himself. He is a planted tree. God plants him. You see that? That's important. Why? Because God plants him between two rivers. Plural again. God plants him in a place. That's that grace and planted producing an outward life. God did the planting so the fruit is coming. You ever had a green fig? Green fig? Mm. I you just Christians don't produce those. They don't. They produce fruit in the season. And listen, its leaves that people see match the fruit it produces. Your profession 
and your actual life ought to match each other. If not, the Bible calls you a hypocrite. And God had some pretty straightforward things to say about hypocrites. Matter of fact, in Matthew 15, 13, he says, Every plant, talking to the hypocrites, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. So the righteous bear fruit. Their words and their deeds are consistent. Romans 7, 14, I don't have time to get into that today. But brothers and sisters, here's the truth. We're all weak. We are weak. This is why we need community. This is why we need each other, because we're weak. Our growth groups are going to be are going to talk about spiritual disciplines. They're out there on the on the table. We'll have more next week. They help us develop this Christian life. The spiritual disciplines necessary to live this blessed, abundant life the psalmist is talking about. Am I delighting in God's word? This is an important question for you this morning. Because Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because what are you going to delight in? Him. They have an end too, you see. Look at verse 5 and 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the righteous, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord, here it is, verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. This is why words are important in the Bible. This is why when you read foreknowing, you should hear foreloving. That God did not love, God's not some genie in a crystal ball. Before the foundation of the world, He loved you. Now that's good news. That's what He means right here. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's good. This is, listen, quote, God's knowledge is a deep commitment to love for and to care for His own. It's good. God says, I got my own. This doesn't start when you go to heaven. It starts the minute that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord knows your way. He looks at you. And listen, those who hurt His own, God sees it. And all we do as Christians is forgive it, cover it grace, put it on the cross, and know our Father didn't miss one second of it. He knows the way of the righteous. He knows our hardships, our afflictions. What Psalms 31, 7 says, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known my distress of my soul. I love Psalm 73, 23. I don't think it's in your notes. Listen to this. Now, not yet. Nevertheless, I am continually with you and you will hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. You see the heartbeat of the psalmist. Whom do I have in heaven but you? You ever prayed that? Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ stands at the crossroads of two ways. Matthew 7, 13, I read this. Jesus said this because he loved the wicked and the righteous. Were we not his enemies at one time? 
Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it You are here today. I say, as Deuteronomy 30.15 said, Moses to God's people, I lay before you today life and good or death and evil. Choose life. Choose life. If you haven't entered the narrow way and there's only one way, you repent and believe. Put your faith in Christ. It's not a prayer you pray, not a card you sign, not a church you join. It is to repent of your sins, to turn and put your trust as Christ, as Savior of your soul and Lord of your life. There is no other way. That is the narrow way. And so here's what we're going to do today. If you have put your faith in Christ, if He is the Lord of your life, I invite you to the tables. I invite you to remember. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read some scripture. We're going to stand to sing. And as we stand to sing, there's four tables. Go back and get both elements in your hand. And come back to your seats and worship the Lord. Pastor Micah and the team's going to begin to sing. And as you pray, remember. And as you remember, Worship the Lord in your taking. And worship His name. And so let us prepare ourselves by remembering for a minute. Let's remember that only God's children come to God's table. This is the Lord's table. Paul was clear in 1 Corinthians 11. That we do not come to the Lord in an unworthy manner. And those who are not born again bring judgment on themselves if they come to the table best thing that you could do if you are not in the faith today is to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. The table is open for all of God's people who practice open communion. All those who are trusting in Christ alone. Come to the table. We are one in Christ. One church. We will remember that Christ alone is the righteous one. He is the one who fulfilled Isaiah 11, 1. It said, Therefore shall come forth a shoot stump of Jesse. The fear of the Lord. It is Jesus Christ who fulfilled Isaiah 53, 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. We remember that Jesus Christ is the righteous one who bore our iniquities so that we could be counted righteous. We will remember the person and work of Christ. Hebrews 9 verse 13 said, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We will remember that life comes through Jesus Christ and him alone. Listen to 1 John. It's beautiful. Chapter 5, verse 20. And we know 
that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. We will remember that Jesus Christ, the true God, and that only Jesus Christ is eternal life. Verse 21 says, little children, keep yourself from idols. And so now we come to this point where I ask you to offer a prayer of repentance. 1 John 1, 5, 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. And the Word is not in us. So brothers and sisters, now, as we prepare to come to the table, I first call us to repentance. Let's pray. Lord, as we pause in the quietness of this time before we come and pick up the bread and the cup, we acknowledge our sin before you, for you know our way. And so, Lord, we don't desire to sin against you. We long for the day that sin will be gone. 